When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined this morning by Joe Hill and Thomas Alderson. Guys, how are you feeling? Better than I thought I would be, to be honest, after the weekend, <laughs> but um still confident, so I think I feel we'll still be alright, so yeah, not feeling too bad. Yeah, I think I'm I'm getting there. I think as the week goes on, I'm starting to feel a little bit more positive, looking forward to Saturday. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a good game. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to focus too much on, on the negativities of Cardiff because we uh, spent a whole hour doing that in the previous podcast. If you want to feel miserable, go back and, and listen to that episode. Uh, but today we're all about focusing on the Fulham game, um, as, as you've mentioned, Joe, uh, and a game that I think will be more interesting at least from a Leeds fan perspective than maybe the Cardiff one was. Uh, the Cardiff one was very much a loss in the mould of a Bielsa Leeds side um, and hopefully the Fulham game will be more in the mould of a Bielsa good performance against a, a strong team. But before we get on to the Fulham game, just a couple of bits of news uh, from around the, the league. The first news being the the story that broke yesterday morning about Jonathan Woodgate being fired and Neil Warnock being brought in, which I think has brought a lot of joy to the Leeds fan base. Um, I know both of you guys were keen to have a, a little bit of a chat about this. So what have you got on this, Joe? How are you feeling about Neil Warnock back in uh, back in the league? Well, it's... Uh... It's just hilarious, isn't it? I'm just, uh, I'm absolutely loving it. When I saw the news, I was, uh, I was thrilled actually, because I think Warnock's become a bit of a meme, um, <laughs> and he's provided us with lots of joy. Um, I'm thinking of him like standing on the pitch, hands on his head, staring at the ref. Um, you know that one? I think it was at Cardiff when he was doing that. Um, and I just can't wait to see some more, some great Neil Warnock banter on and off the pitch. I love how he's always saying. Oh, I've, I've only got it's my last job. It's my last job. I think he said that about three jobs ago, and then here he is again. But it, it makes me think if he's just in there till the end of the season to keep them up, or he wants one last crack at the Premier League again. So I don't know. He just, mm. yeah, it just amazes me that he, he can always just come crawling back every time. <laughs> Yeah, and Borough really, really look like they could be in trouble now. It's a, it's an interesting one to 
wait for the whole of lockdown out and then just have one game back and then and then pull the plug on Woodgate there. Um, so do we expect Borough to be in a relegation battle now then, Tom? Um, I think they're lucky that there's a, like, at least three teams that are worse than them. Like Hull are somehow it, it, an absolutely horrendous and like they've lost a few players as well. And you could see Huddersfield maybe getting dragged into it and Barnsley and Luton are a bit are already a bit sort of cut off. But I don't, Luton are doing might are doing all right, so they might crawl back. I think Middlesbrough have enough to stay up, but yeah, they, they, it doesn't look good, and it wouldn't be surprised me if they go down. Yeah, it's remarkable at the bottom of the table because Luton now having Nathan Jones makes you think they might just sort of pull it out of the bag. Barnsley have been really strong since since the last couple of months uh, anyway, and they've really pulled themselves I mean they pulled themselves off the bottom of the table um and a couple of results now could put them well out of the the relegation battle. Charlton have, have sort of been in the top half of the table for most of the season, albeit probably unfairly according to underlying statistics, but at the same time, you know they 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 don't they seem like almost like too good a team to go down. We know Hull are probably doomed at this point, but it's a really really open uh, relegation race, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be amazing if we end up seeing fairly big teams like Middlesbrough and Hull getting relegated, and uh, Barnsley and Luton staying up. Um, actually, I think Warnock will keep Middlesbrough up. I think he'll scare the shit out of them all and. They'll manage to scrape together a couple of results just to keep them up, but yeah, I think um, I think Hull are Hull are going down, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly going to be a really close battle, and like it's it's literally a couple of results for those to any of those teams, and they're staying up. So it will be really fascinating to watch. Other news seems as though Pablo Hernandez was back in training yesterday ahead of schedule, which is nice to hear. Um, and also on top of that, Tyler Roberts is fit. There was there was rumours that he might have picked up an injury in the Cardiff game, but it seems as though those rumours are unfounded. Good news, I think. How do we feel about, about this news, uh, Joe? It's massive. I think we really missed Hernandez in the Cardiff game. Um, not only just so he could work his magic upon the game, but so then we could play Tyler Roberts in a number nine position because I think that would have been the the move to make is take Bamford off on 60-70 minutes and play Roberts up front. Um, so I think we might see Roberts dropping to the bench um, if Hernandez is fit to start but I think that could be good because it gives us a, a second option up front mm, yeah we really missed that I think at the weekend just it's not simply that we missed Hernandez which we did because that's the sort of game that we do miss Hernandez in where we're expected to break down deep lying uh, teams but at the same time we just really didn't have any sort of wiggle room to play with in terms of substitution so um Tom, how did you how do you feel about this aspect? We we had a long chat actually on our Patreon episode yesterday about the squad depth, but um, I think Cardiff really sort of showed it up that in terms of attacking tweaks up front, um, we really didn't have many options at the weekend. Yeah, it's like it would have been really good to be able to bring Roberts on. I, I know he started the game, but like to bring him on in place of Bamford, who just was struggling at the weekend, and we didn't like we took Costa off. And we didn't. I don't really feel like we had anyone on the bench that could have changed the game. Um, mm. Which we've, I don't know. I think at points this season we have seen seen people come on and make a difference. So, but I, I think that was really exaggerated um, against Cardiff on Sunday. Mm. Well, let's move on to talk about the the Fulham game. You both watched the the Fulham Brentford game. Um, and, and I watched it as well. I thought it was a really good game, actually. I thought it was really good fun. Um, I thought it was quite 
tactically interesting. Um, I think both teams sort of gave a good account of themselves, really. Um, and I was fairly surprised at, at how well Fulham came out um, in certain respects. Um, some of the same old sort of criticism still lurking around in the background for me. But um, Tom, let's start with you. What was your sort of initial take on the, the Fulham-Brentford game? What did you make of it? Fulham sort of controlled the game um, without really doing anything. Um, and it was quite similar to um, the game we had with Brentford. That they was Brentford re- didn't really have any control over the midfield um, for most of the game. So they were sort of just trying to bypass them and get it up to the uh, the front three. So it'd be, in- it'd be interesting to see if Fulham will have as much control as that on Saturday or um, they'll revert to what most teams do against Leeds and just sort of sit back or have less of the ball. Hmm. What was your gut response, Joe? I think I was looking to see if either of them would start slowly, if either of them would look unfit. Um, and actually, I think they both, like you say, I think they both uh, gave a good account of themselves. They came out fairly quick off the blocks um, and they, they played some decent football between them, um, pretty much shared the possession. And yeah, I think I would have liked them to look a bit a bit uh, more unfit because I'd feel a bit better going into this weekend. But um, I think it just shows that everyone's been working hard over this extended break. It's not just mm. Leeds. Yeah, I had to look a bit uh, at the underlying stats from the game and uh, there's some interesting things that came out. I mean, Fulham, you, you mentioned Fulham had control, I think particularly in the first half, maybe Fulham sat a little bit deeper. Um, I, I looked at blocks that were made defensively and um, Fulham made 10 blocks on shots and crosses, but they all came in the first half. Uh, and then after that, they they didn't seem as though they were sitting quite as deep, whereas, whereas Brentford had a sort of spread across there. And I think you're right, Tom, I think... Uh, Brentford were looking to get forward quickly. They were trying to get the ball progressed quickly, um, and we know that that's what they do. They they are a they are a, a team similar to Leeds in that respect, in that they'll they'll try and get the ball into the attacking third, into their wide areas for their forwards, uh, and try and build things from there. Fulham actually surprised me a little bit because my my age old criticism of Fulham has always been, you know, that they are neither one thing nor the other. They sort of do a lot of this really sort of stodgy, ponderous build up play, um, but then. Actually, their attacking edge comes from them doing quite direct play. Um, obviously, we all know about Mitrovic, and we're going to talk about him a little bit more. But um, essentially, their attacking <laughs> their attacking situation is to try and get the ball into wide areas and get the get the de- decent crosses on the ball um, and and try and find Mitrovic's head, um, which is why they play Joe Bryan uh, as a as a left back. A lot of people are quite critical of his defensive uh, output, but. You know, that's why they have him in the team. They You want to get him in an advanced area down the left-hand side and, and try and find Mitrovic's head. And to be fair, that's, that tactic pretty much nearly worked. Um, there, there was a good save pulled off by um, uh, Ry- David Raya in, in the Brentford goal, which uh, wasn't rated particularly highly by the XG models. But, um, you know, it was one of those ones where once he had headed it, the post-shot XG was, you would have thought, pretty high because, yes, it was straight at David Raya. But, the, you know, he still had to move to to react to that and it was a very close range shot um had that gone in the game could have been completely different and i think you know when we talk about what's going to happen with fulham um playing leeds that's going to be something that we we worry about i mean that's it doesn't matter we 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 know how leeds are you know it doesn't matter um how few chances the opposition create if they create a good enough chance to score before we do 
makes our task a lot harder. So, um, but beyond that, I was interested in Fulham because, you know, Fulham really didn't do a huge amount um, of what they usually do. So I was looking at their passing and they, they only made 449 passes um, and their average per game this season is up at 544. So they're about 100 passes fewer than, than they usually did. They, um, they made 19 crosses at the weekend and... Uh, actually, having said that, you know their their um, their approach is 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 to make crosses. I mean, they 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 usually make around I think twenty. It's about twenty one on average. So you know they're they were sort of there and thereabouts of their crossing. So they're going quite direct as usual. But um, I was for me, I was a little bit more surprised at how actually the build up play had seemed to fall out of their game a little bit. And I wondered whether or not they had potentially um, uh, been working on just being a little bit more direct um, and, and going through the going through the the phases. I think Harrison Reed was um, getting a lot of accolades at the weekend. I think rightly so. He was he was very good. And I think he just gave them a little bit more control in midfield and allowed them to... His distribution is actually quite good. Um, and I think that allowed them to progress the ball maybe a little bit quicker. So I think that's certainly one, one to watch out for. But I just, I felt as though they were maybe a little bit more direct than I'd seen them last season um, and wondered whether or not that was something that they'd been working on through the through the lockdown anyone else got any uh, any sort of observations about about Fulham in terms of what what they saw I think it was interesting um, your point on Harrison Reed. I, f- I felt that as well and when he went off that was kind of when Brentford started to get on top of the game a lot more yeah I, I think that was that was certainly um, a big point in the game was they Harrison Reed has obviously come back from injury didn't have a full game in him and as soon as you saw Reed coming off and Harry Arter coming on it just felt as though you know that's it now. That's that's their that's their big angle gone. That's the that's their edge lost, uh, and it pretty much proved to be to be the case. Um, in terms of in terms of the uh, actual result, how did you feel that it was was in a, on a balance point of view? Did you feel as though it was unfair for Fulham to lose two 0 or do you think it was something that that sort of was coming for them, Joe? I think Brentford looked the stronger team in terms of. In terms of attacking, I think their their attacking passes and their movement in and around the final third was much better. Obviously, Fulham, Fulham carry the threat of um, Mitrovic just getting a goal out of nowhere, but um, I think maybe one nil to Brentford would have been would have been fair. Um, obviously, they got the second goal when it was late on, and Fulham are really pushing up. It's kind of like um, when Leeds played Nottingham Forest; it was the same thing. One um, nil was probably fair, and then two nil was just a sucker punch at the end of the game. It sort of doesn't really mean anything at that stage. Hmm. Yeah, there was a good piece by Michael Cox actually in the Athletic this week. He went to that game and was particularly watching Mitrovic versus uh, Ollie Watkins because those two players are the uh, the top scorers in the league. And he made a few interesting points and made a few interesting points in the Not the Top Twenty podcast as well, where he he, he spoke about that game and he was just saying, you know, look, Brentford are a much more complicated attacking side. They do much more complex uh, routes. They they're thinking about rotation. They're thinking about spatial manipulation, etc. Um, and Fulham just don't have that. And I guess it again, it comes down to, and this is the sort of the age old thing for, for Leeds, isn't it? Is that we know that we are going to play that kind of football, that more complicated and um, cerebral football, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, and so, in terms of the, the game um, next, that uh, this weekend, I, I'm kind of interested to see whether or not that sort of the same sort of patterns. Um, are unfolded that unfolded in the Brentford Fulham game as well. 
I'm going to go from there to jump straight now into the the interview that we did with with Jack J Collins of the Fulhamish podcast. So I was joined by Jack yesterday in interview, and uh, we talked all about the the game from a Fulham perspective. And so, without further ado, here's Jack J Collins of Fulhamish podcast. So I'm joined by Jack J Collins of the Fulhamish podcast. Jack, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. I'm I'm feeling better than I thought I would be after a West London derby loss. So that's something. Yeah, I suppose the the Leeds result coming through for you right at the end took a little bit of an edge off the weekend. Yeah, slight tonic, I think that, and and West Brom dropping points as well. It was one of those where now it seems like a missed opportunity rather than the complete end of the road, I suppose. Mm. So let's get the negative stuff out of the way early. You've had a few days to dwell on it now. How are you feeling about the Brentford game? So for 70-odd minutes, we were all right. Um, uh, We were probably the better side of the two for, for quite a long period of the game. We you know, didn't convert the the three or four big chances that we had. Um, But we were quite in control. We we managed to hold them off quite well. And then for 20 minutes, we just absolutely collapsed. Uh, And you can look at that two ways, I guess. You can look at it as going, well, that's a game plan from Brentford that they've just thought, hold you off, hold you off, hold you off, hit you at the end, which is fair enough. But also, you know, they're coming back from an extended break. 70 minutes is, you know, still a long time. Uh, and I guess you could, you could put it down to fitness issues. Harrison Reed coming off for us was the big one. Yeah, I think in, t- in terms of that was where, where the game was, was lost. Harry Arter came on for him. You've kind of replaced a six with an eight there, the way that, that I look at it. And, and I think we noticed immediately that Harry Arter was in front of the player where Harrison Reed had been behind them, kind of just clearing up. And we started to lose momentum. So... There are massive negatives, I think, to this, but uh, there are there are things to look at in this game and think, okay, we've done some things right here against, you know, Brentford are fourth. <laughs> they're no mm. mugs. Uh, they have their inconsistencies and, and that's why they're not up there, you know, in the top two, I think, are competing with you guys. But, the, you know, they have had a, a very good season and they are a very good side. And I think that there are things we can look at as Fulham fans and be like, yeah, this was frustrating and exceedingly annoying. But ultimately, you know, there are positives to build on as well. Mm. I was going to ask you where you thought it went wrong, but it sounds as though you, you're using Harrison Reed's substitution as, as the turning point, but also getting the sense that you kind of feel it was quite balanced and, and the game could have gone either way, really. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we hit the post slash crossbar in, in the first half. Mitrovic had a header that I think mm. any other day on and a little bit sharper he scores um, and I think you know that you look at those things and think oh if we're 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go we would have absolutely been fine I mean I, I think that I know we'll talk about Scott Parker a little bit later, but the the difference for us and, and where I was really frustrated after the game was it was the difference for me between a proactive manager and a reactive manager. Mm. You know, Thomas Frank saw the game. He was like, right, we have no control of the midfield. He, he made three substitutions. He brought on Emiliano Malcondes, who obviously created one, scored one, but also he brought Baptiste on, who pushed Ben Rama more into a central role. And that's where they grabbed control of the game, took it by the scruff of the neck and, and went on and won it. Whereas Parker had three substitutions left in the 90th minute and it was if you felt like he had he'd made two separate one-man substitutions which meant he had one substitution berth if you will left um to make three changes and you kind of felt he was waiting for something to happen before he made those changes like oh if Fulham score I'll bring on three defenders Uh, if if Brentford score I'll bring on 
the last attacking options on my bench. And, and it frustrated me because we were watching it and thinking, well, we've completely lost control of the middle here. Bring on Stefan Johansson, bring on Kevin McDonald, whoever that might be to, to kind of tidy up the midfield, to tighten it up and, and try and wrest some sort of control back. And that's why I was really, really disappointed. And I think that's, for me, the, the thing that really cuts there's been a lot of talk about behind closed doors games, obviously. Mm. Um, and I just wondered what your take was on watching your own team play behind closed doors, because no doubt you've watched lots of uh, teams that you're neutral with respect to um, playing. But what was it like for you watching your team behind closed doors? I thought it was okay. Um, it, it's not obviously perfect, but it, it's at uh, this situation it is where we are. And I don't mind it. And it's one of those strange things. And I know you'll probably resonate with this is that you end up watching a lot of like UEFA, UEFA Youth League games and, <laughs> and under 19s games and all of these things. And, and there's never really a crowd anyway. And so I think I've just a little bit more used to, mm. to the idea of watching games with, with no sound and, and with no, with no crowds. I think it's weird. It's going to be weird. It's not going to change anything. And it's going to you know, that's going to remain, I think, throughout the entire period when there's no crowds, things are going to be strange. Um, but on the whole, I thought it was, you know, not not the end of the world. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I guess, again, like you say, we, we probably both watch quite a lot of football. I watch quite, I do quite a lot of scouting work as well. So um, I'm used to just sort of sticking on a feed which doesn't have commentary and uh, it, it can be a smaller game and there's not, not much going on. I quite like not having crowd noise compared to piping in crowd noise because it, it I, I don't know I get the cognitive dissonance is weird for me because I know there's no one there and you hear yeah, a yeah. cheer and you're like that's just that's just a guy pressing a button somewhere right but you hear the um, sound yeah yeah what what about the 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 sort of gameplay element of it did you think that it was quite noticeable that there wasn't a, a crowd there in terms of what the, the team were doing on the field I thought the the pace of the game was reasonably high um which I wasn't necessarily expecting I think that the only game well you look at the the kind of opening games of different leagues and uh, they've all mostly aside Premier League aside been derby so obviously there was the, the Revia derby and then there was El Gran Derby in Seville uh, to bring La Liga back and both of those games while a bit sloppy were quite intense hmm. And I thought it was pretty similar for, for Fulham and Brentford. I, th- I thought we the game was quite high intensity, but but quite sloppy. Uh, and I don't know whether that's crowd or whether that's to do with just coming back after such a long break. I, I was maybe expecting it to be a little bit slower, um, but it you know it was okay. I, I thought the it was it wasn't great quality the first half, but I thought there was definitely you know enough bite and enough snap in it to to not be too worried about it. Mm. Um, we need to talk about Scott Park. You've already mentioned that yes. you know there's there can be uh, negativities with re- with regards to Parker as a manager. Um, I would say that watching Fulham, I'm always a little bit confused about what the what the plan is. Really, um, it feels like you do a lot of, and this is the standard criticism, right? You do a lot of ponderous build up play, and then you suddenly just go quite direct. You hit wide areas, and you try and find Mitrovic in the box. Um, and it to me, it sort of seems like the slow build up play doesn't really seem to add anything to the direct play style um why not just be direct the whole time um do you get frustrated about the way you're playing under Scott Parker? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I think the the difference is I'm not. I don't want us to be direct, and I don't necessarily want us to be, <laughs> you know, slower and build. I just want us to pick one. I, I don't mind which one it is. Mm. It's just we don't play on the counter. And I was looking at some bits of bobs around this, and like our counter attacks this year. I think we've scored once on the counter this season, perhaps twice if if mm. we're lucky. Um. We we are, the amount of shots we get off counter attacking football is unbelievably low. I think it's just over 0.7 a game, which is unreal. We we do okay with a high press somehow, 
Uh, and yet we don't kind of make anything happen. We have a lot of crosses, about you know over thirty percent of our our crosses are uh, our chances to come through crosses. It is bizarre. Like the the whole the whole system just doesn't really make any sense. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of where we're struggling. You know, Parker's come in. He's obviously kind of regained the trust of the dressing room, re-allowed that kind of the personnel to begin to flourish after what was you know a difficult season last year. And you know, given he's a rookie manager and he's sitting third in the league. In a, in, a, in, a, in a squad that's a top three squad but you know you look at your squad at least and you look at West Brom's squad and you think okay you know we're we're about in there you know that's a mix that I can mm. I can take I think we're the top three squads in the division by some distance but I think it is a top three I don't think it's a you know oh Fulham should be first by miles and miles and miles I, I, I don't believe that to be true and so when you look at that you say, well, Parker's third. He, he's doing the job expected of him with the squad. But yeah, I, I, the kind of, you're right, you know, the dissonance between this kind of really ponderous way that we, we get the ball out of defence and we, we allow our midfielders to kind of drive forward at their own pace and then suddenly it's go, 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 go doesn't really add up. And, you know, Joe Bryan's got seven assists from left back. There's plenty of questions about Joe Bryan's defensive ability, but what's not in question is, you know, his ability to cross a ball. And when we scored, that that link up between Bryan and Mitrovic has, has got seven goals this season. So, you know, th- th- you can't really argue with that in terms of what it is. But I just don't know if Parker is 100% sure what he's trying to do. I kind of feel like he's in the dressing room, right? Like, right, go out and play your football, boys. Mm. And, you know, that that kind of jars because our midfield want to control the game. Tom Kearney wants to get on the ball in dangerous areas and, and play those kind of very intricate passes until the line breaks up. And Mitrovic wants the ball on his head and oh. our, <laughs> our fullbacks want to want to cross the ball. And so, so, so it gets to this point where you're sort of you're waiting for the wingers to cut inside and unleash. We don't play with traditional wingers, really. You know, we play with Cavalera and Knockart on on opposite wings playing almost as inside forwards mm. which doesn't necessarily equate with Mitrovic wanting crosses on his head so the whole thing just feels a bit jarring I think and mm-hmm. and that's where it ends up looking quite stale and negative and I don't necessarily think the negativity is Parker's fault I think it's a kind of uh, a, a byproduct of, of the way that Fulham are set up where we don't really have a, a coherent play style. Mm. It did feel to me though this being said that watching the Brentford game, you seemed a little bit more direct than usual. It seemed as though maybe Parker's moving towards that more direct style than the sort of ponderous style. And I noticed your passing was much lower than it usually is in the game. Uh, I wondered if you got the same sense and whether you think maybe over the break, Parker's been able to sort of solidify his thinking and crystallise his ideas a little bit more. Yeah, potentially. I agree with you. I think we were slightly more direct. And part of me thinks that that is, they've looked at Brentford and, and gone, where are, where have they been? week this season and actually it's been teams that don't play like Brentford mm-hmm. that have, have been able to hurt them I think quite you know in quite a direct sense and so part of that is maybe looking at, at the game and going right how do we hurt this team which is a good thing because you know Parker is therefore analyzing his opposition and in a way that we've not necessarily seen with Fulham sides over over the years it was uh, our way or the highway and um, so you know, that kind of flexibility you know it isn't, isn't anything to be criticized um, I'd be interested to see how this plays out now because obviously we've got you guys next and then a couple of really tough games you know in the next five or six we play Forest West Brom QPR away which is another derby that you know they're not in a particularly good form but they're always going to be up for for a West London derby and and then when you play all of this into account it's a question of whether this play style is what Parker wants to do or whether it's him reacting to the teams he's playing against so I'll be interested to see how that develops. Hmm. 
How are you feeling about playing Leeds um, now? Do you think it's a good time to play Leeds after they lost to Cardiff? Maybe a little bit more pressure on this on this game now than there would have been, and uh, Leeds always have a, a collapse in them. So you you be quite positive about playing Leeds this weekend? Oh, we tend to do better, but against the bigger sides, or we mm. have done until this point. So it's, you know, it's, it's the sides around us that we've actually played quite well against for for the most part. Um, so so there is that. Uh, I think that. I was having this discussion with, with with a couple of people on on Fulhamish actually, and saying, you know, how are the crowds going to affect people? And obviously, Ellen Road already is a cauldron, and it, it can be, you know, very. If you if, if Leeds get on top of you at Ellen Road, and the crowd gets on top of you, it can be a very very damning place to go. I also think though that not having a crowd might be a benefit for Leeds because I think that the the way that things have gone the last couple of years that if if we were to score early, the crowd would get tetchy. People are going to get on top of it. It gets to the, oh, no, it can't happen again, can it? You know, and people start to get nervous. And I think, therefore, you know, if, if that happens, I think Leeds are in a, in a better place to kind of just play out. And look, it didn't it didn't work at the weekend. But, you know, as was said on the commentary, a different game and a couple of different deflections and things. And it, it all goes the other way. You know, you, you're on top of for the majority of that game. And, and, and Cardiff did just what Cardiff do sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and so... So I think that one leads be absolutely fine, and two that that playing them now is not necessarily the best time, purely because the way that I, I think one you'll be be able to want a, a response from his players after after that, but also that he's kind of just got the time and and not the crowd kind of worry to just play his own game. And I think if that if that carries on, his team will continue to be very successful. And and I think it's going to be I think it'll be a good game, but I, I think it will be a tight game. Hmm. What thoughts do you have about the the last time we played? Do you do you expect the game to be very different this time around? Well, it was cagey, wasn't it? Mm. It was, you know, we we came off we came into that game expecting absolutely nothing because we played Brentford the week before mm. and we'd lost one nil. But it, if we're being perfectly honest with you, it could have been five, and we were absolutely hammered by Brentford. And it was one of those games you came out of it and you're like, I want to be angry that we've lost, but actually I'm I'm kind of just grateful it was only one. And and it was like it was that kind of bad. When you you know you come out of games thinking oh I'm glad we lost by only one you're not necessarily in a, in a great state of mind and and then coming into the Leeds game we were like oh no what comes next how how are we going to deal with this and, and and we got away with it we played really well that day Josh Onoma was excellent I know he scored the winner but it, it was his kind of presence in the middle that really gave us that kind of drive and uh, and kind of forward thinking motion and I thought we we were lucky but you know that game was close as well I think it's mm. it's important to remember that you know we, yes we won that game and but it was in no way comfortable and we we got a you know a questionable penalty if if you will uh, down one end and and there was a couple of other little bits and bobs so so I, I imagine that game was tight and i imagine the next one will be as well um but you know it's a funny one i was i was pleased with our performance that day because we were kind of it felt like we had a cohesive plan of attack and all i'm hoping for this round is that that plan of attack is is cohesive again and you know if we lose and we play in a way that i can understand and and look at and go right okay i know what parker's trying to do here it's still frustrating obviously to lose but at least you can look at it and be like all right fine i know what he's trying it's just if we play the way that we have been beforehand and been sort of all over the place in terms of how we're trying to do things and and then we lose then it's when you start to question the manager even further and and at that point you you start to worry about what you know the playoffs and and how you kind of handle the big moments and, and that's where we're wary of at the moment hmm. so how do you expect the game to unfold then on on Saturday well I, I think you know like you say you know we were a little bit more direct at the weekend I imagine that will continue you, you know normally I would say we'd like to keep the ball but I just don't think we're going to um at the weekend I think we will I think we will seed possession a little bit more than usual in the same way that we did with 
Brentford uh, and try and play you know down the flanks what's going to be interesting for me is, is the kind of personnel and how how that affects things because if we can call on the likes of Josh Onama Harrison Reed to to get into that middle and and be that kind of engine room that we really need if we're going to get going down the middle then then I think that we we will have a more kind of direct not counter-attacking because as I've mentioned we, we don't really do that but that that press I think will will push from the middle and we'll be able to kind of at least give you a game and you look we saw how that press affected Leeds in the first game back against Cardiff right you know the two goals come from from mistakes and and ultimately if you can if you can force those mistakes again then then you have you have a chance and, and if you can't then I think Leeds will overrun us so so there's a big question as to how Fulham play and how we how we play out if we press you high um I think that it'll be a really close game if we don't then I'd be concerned I think about how we were going to to, to get any sort of joy in that, in that final third. Hmm. What about injury-wise? How are you looking injury-wise and how is that going to impact? Well, um, Fulham are notoriously cagey uh, with information and uh, <laughs> we only found out that Abukamara wasn't in the squad when the squad came out uh, the weekend, which is, you know, not really not really ideal if you're trying to if you're trying to plan things as a fan and try and work out things for, for commentary. Um, but it, it was a... Uh, it was a kind of shock to us all. We had no idea where Josh Onuma was either. And, and that's the kind of big blows to me. Kamara and Onuma, you know, have been, uh, have turned into really key, key players for us, I think. And and they're both with, they both have their faults. They're both, you know, very much imperfect products, but they, they do bring a certain drive energy and, and kind of, I think, Direct's the wrong word, but they, that kind of transitional style where they will just break and get Fulham up the field. And I think, you know, like you say, that kind of ponderous nature of many of our side means that you do need that kind of explosivity from from a couple of players, and so uh, that's the big two for me. If if we're able to to call on Onuma and Kamara, then we have that kind of differentiation in the side, and 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 kind of fingers crossed that, that their fit is the big one for me because I think they'd make a huge difference. And how do you think you're going to line up against this then? Well, I think. Harrison Reed has forced himself in, into contention. He, he limped off a little bit and he was a bit shot after 70 minutes. But I'm, I'm hoping that that's a, you know, it looked like a, a bruise more than anything else. So I would imagine he'll linchpin the side. I know it's really weird to start a lineup with a, with a defensive midfielder. But I mean, that's what we'll we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think Marek Rodak will continue in goal. I would be surprised if Cyrus Christie doesn't get a start. I think we lacked some sort of um, mm. offensive width from having Dennis Adoy there on on the right of the weekend. So I think that Cyrus Christie might get a start. I think it will be Reem and Hector again, who were very, very good at the weekend. Mm. Uh, and Joe Bryan has been, is a contentious one, right? You know, like I said earlier, seven assists for Mitrovic and that connection is brilliant but he's also the one that gets caught out of position for the first goal his defensive positioning was a little bit all over the place uh, against Brentford Hmm. Uh, and so there was a lot of calls for for not his head but for (laughs) for him to be chopped Um, so that's a that's the kind of big the big question is whether you go conservative at left back and you go you go Dennis Adoy or you play the kind of attacking option of, of Joe Bryan so that that that's a big thing I would say that he will keep faith with Bryan hmm. um but that's that's a gamble and uh, Harrison Reed Tom Kearney and I'm hoping Onoma in the middle but if not I imagine Steffi Hansen might get a run in there um to you know just add some legs and energy in the middle hmm. uh, and then I would say Mitrovic will play through the middle as ever um I'm going to say that he might go for Bobby Reed on one side and Cavalero on the other mm-hmm. uh, in that kind of 
on loan from Wolves trade off with Helder Costa. <laughs> uh, which player are you always wary of when you face Leeds? Um, I mean, look, enough's been said about about Calvin Phillips to to suggest that he is very much on his way to the Premier League, one way or the other, and and uh, he is an you know incredible talent. I actually really like Jack Harrison. Um, <laughs> he's a he's a funny old player, and and I, I imagine you know you've watched him more than me, but he has he has this kind of streaky moments where. Some weeks he seems to be unplayable, and other mm. weeks he he appears to not be able to hit a proverbial barn door. <laughs> um, but but I really he, he scares me. I think he's a a really kind of uh, he's a really fun player to watch. I think as a neutral because you don't actually know what he what he's going to do next. Um, I don't so, think he so does I, either. A lot of the yeah, time, no. So. But, but this is the thing. I used to say this about Kamara. Uh, at Fulham because I was like he doesn't know what he's going to do so there's absolutely no way that the defender does because he hasn't decided until the split second that he he, he does it so yeah I mean look I, I like those two players I, I think you know Patrick Bamford is uh, has rightly picked up criticism this season for for his goal scoring but I, I do think he brings so much in terms of uh, the rest of his game and look yeah no, there's always going to be that debate whether your number nine is 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 supposed to facilitate or supposed to score goals or, or potentially both and and I guess that there's there's always going to be that that raging conundrum as to what what he brings in terms of bringing other people in as opposed to what he brings to as goal scoring but I think if if that works and you can get the wingers you can get Helder Costa if you can get Harrison and, and you can get them inside and scoring goals it's off Bamford then then that's going to be a work in progress so so I'd say the two wingers are the players I'd be wariest of. Mm. And it's nice to welcome you onto Bamford Island. There's a, a lonely place at times here, but I'm still upset that he hasn't uh, he hasn't declared for the Republic because, um, <laughs> because what we could really do at the Republic of Ireland is another non-goal scoring striker. <laughs> Not that we have enough of those. <laughs> and then finally, uh, which players should Leeds fans look out for? Keep an eye out for. Uh, I've mentioned Harrison Reid a couple of times mm. this podcast, but. I mean, when he's in the side, full and like a different unit, he's um, look. He, he he cleans up so nicely at the base of midfield, and he's um. I think we we've struggled without him this season. He, he's kind of come in. Kevin McDonald used to play that role for us, and he, he's now as mobile as my fridge so he's um he's kind of a wonderful presence to have uh, a lovely kind of person to bring on solidify things late on but he's no longer a 90 minute player and Harrison's come in in a kind of different mold to that he's a very mobile very kind of tidies up at the base um the lazy comparison is to N'Golo Kante um but I don't yeah, I mean, I think I think Harrison's more of a six than Kante is. He doesn't go box mm. to box. He he sits at the base and he just tidies up. Um, but he, he he gets about. He's so mobile. He always seems to be there in front of the defense, and we look like a different side with him in the team. So mm. that's who I would would look out for. And everyone knows about Cavalera and what he brings to the table. But if he is there and he does start, he's um he's capable of of almost anything. Frankly, you know, mm. he's capable of falling over the ball at the same time, winning it back, and then bending one from thirty five yards into into the top. In and that's the frustration that he's he's not able to do that every week. But he is, you know, a magical player on his day. And if you know, if he's if he starts, I don't like him coming off the bench. I don't think he has. He's one of those players that warms into games. Um, but I think if he starts, he's definitely one to watch out for. Well, Jack, thank you very much. You can follow Jack on Twitter at Jack J Collins. You can follow Fulhamish at Fulhamish Pod. Jack, is there anything that you would like to push yourself? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, if you're a more general, um, I hope. Be our football ranks for, for Bleacher Report with uh, Sam Ty and Dean Jones, and uh, that comes out every Wednesday. So if yeah, if, if anyone was after another football podcast to add to their rotation, <laughs> then uh, we'd be much obliged. Hmm. 
And thank you so much for coming on. And I hope you can enjoy the game as much as any of us enjoy football these days. <laughs> thank you so much, John. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So that was Jack J. Collins of the Fulhamish podcast. Uh, Joe, I'm interested, what did you make of Jack's interview? Is there anything that stood out for you in particular? It was nice to hear him sort of admitting the flaws that um, we we might have already identified with Fulham um, and in that they can have a lack of identity um, and that Scott Parker can be more reactive as, as a manager. Um, it was nice to hear those points and it was also nice to hear him say that he thinks the lack of a crowd will be an advantage um, for Leeds in that uh, the crowd won't be there to sort of get on our backs if we were to go 1-0 behind. So there's a few promising points in there from a Leeds perspective. I was quite interested in how he was uh, talking about the squad compared to the um, the rest of the uh, league. So cause he said, I think, maybe of top three, um, top three squad Fulham have. But I would, I'd argue that Fulham are probably the best one in the league. I don't know if you agree. And... Scott Parker's probably, I think he's under underperforming, and he also he mentioned as well how Parker's been quite reactive, and you'd, you'd think that if I don't know, say like Bielsa was at Fulham, you think the, the Fulham probably would have absolutely walked the league this year. That's something that I said actually on on the return podcast for them because I did the the sort of preview interview for their podcast uh, for the weekend, and I said it's just a really interesting thought experiment, isn't it? If Bielsa was at Fulham and uh, Scott Parker was at Leeds how would you expect the table to look and I just don't think anyone would expect it to be the way around that it is um, which I think raises serious questions about Scott Parker's uh, managerial capacity but you know it's, this is his first full season in management um, what do we expect so um, but yeah I think it, it basically comes down to that doesn't it like with this squad Fulham should be doing better and the reason why they're so high up the table we've I think we've identified it already is they rely on having elite players for the comparative to the league. They have Mitrovic. They have players like Tom Kearney, who, yes, he hasn't performed particularly well this season. But they have Ivan Cavallero, um, who is basically a Premier League quality player. Um, they have Anthony Knockhart, who's gone through the championship promotion race a number of occasions um so they've really got the the depth there in terms of, of the personnel and it just maybe maybe Fulham it feels like Fulham are what I would call a moments team they rely on sort of moments to get them through games um which is the opposite of Leeds I think Leeds rely on a, it's more we're more of a process team we sort of keep plugging away and doing what we do in the knowledge that we're going to create enough that eventually something should happen regardless of the fact it doesn't and so again I think that may be the um that may be the the, the order of of the um the day when we play on Saturday 
Let's talk a little bit about the result earlier in the season as well, because I think um, I think there there are interesting things to talk about with respect to that game. Um, we've we've had a few people mentioning that you know Leeds traditionally have struggled against Fulham in the last few years. I mean, I don't think we've beaten Fulham in a good long while. Um, historical results are historical results. I don't think too much should be read into them um, because yeah, you know what what sort of what, what sort of continue. Uh, continuity do you have between two um, teams four or five seasons apart of course but um, I do think that the generally we've struggled against Fulham because Fulham generally have a good team uh, we're talking about a team that were up in the Premier League and spent a lot of money and it didn't work out for them and they still as Tom's mentioned they have a squad that's absolutely rammed with with decent players um, and I think historically that's roughly been the case that Fulham have been in and out of the Premier League um, in, in the last two decades um, and so I think we generally lose or draw to Fulham because they're generally a better team than us. Um, but I do think that there is um, there's there's interesting things to be talked about in terms of the result earlier in the season. Um, LUFC Meal Deal One asks, "What was the fairness factor for our game at Craven Cottage?" I seem to remember we were somewhat unlucky. What further pointers can we take from this game? Um, I don't know what the info goal fairness percentage was for that game I'd, um, but in terms of the xg the underlying that game fulham created 1.3 for xg which included a penalty i think so take off whatever it is 0.73 from that to get their open play xg and leeds created 1.51 xg although i think did we get a penalty in that game as well no i don't no. think so bamford scored he got the rebound from uh, inketia's shot yeah that's right so Leeds created 1.51 xG in open play. It's not a huge uh, amount of uh, discrepancy, but I think you know uh, it does suggest that you know again Fulham Fulham overperformed their xG. Leeds underperformed theirs. Um, so no surprises there. Um, so yeah, I, and I would say in that game, I, I'm going to say this a lot. I think in the in the coming weeks, there's there's got to be a game state caveat. Fulham got that easy penalty early in the game. Um, which changed the whole tenor of the game. Um, Leeds playing one nil down is different to Leeds playing a nil nil, um, and for me that was that was the sort of sucker punch that that, that finished it for us. And um, we did well to get back into that game, but um, yeah, again another sucker punch from from Fulham, and that was us done. So yeah, I think it was it was in 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 many respects it was the sort of game that that Leeds often put out. Um, you know where we underperform our XG and another team will overperform it, and it's the same story that we saw against Cardiff. Anyone got any thoughts on on that result? Anyone think that we will um, the the game will essentially unfold in a similar way in terms of Leeds being relatively dominant against Fulham? Um, I guess I'm I'm less interested in in the sort of score at this point, but more in terms of the just sort of the tactical flow of the game. Are we expecting it to be a similar kind of game, Tom? I think with that with that uh, earlier game as well, we cause we lost Hernandez. Was it like three minutes in? So I think that would have made a big difference to our. Cause I think it was Dallas went into midfield, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. So I think that that will make a big difference if we've got um, Hernandez back or even Roberts. It just would be a bit more creative, so you've a bit more attacking. So I think that that will help. And I I prefer sort of having Dallas at left back um, than Alioski. In these sort of games, so again, I think that'll make another difference, and mm. I think that those little differences should all add up together, and we should be better than we were in the earlier game, even though we were unlucky in that game. I thought it's probably also worth uh, just bearing in mind that Fulham will probably have to come out and play a bit more than they did in in that game, 
given that they're seven points behind us, you know, I think a draw wouldn't be too bad of a result for Leeds, especially if Brentford uh, get beat by West Brom. So hopefully that means Fulham will want to come out and expose themselves at the back uh, in doing so, and we can take advantage of that. Mm. What difference do you think that the Cardiff result is going to make on the way that we play? Is, is there any worry that, you know, had we come out and, and sort of eased past Cardiff, that this game would be a, a lot more relaxing, a little bit more um, a little bit more assured? Do you think there's going to be nerviness and jangliness uh, in, in the game again that we saw, I think, against Cardiff, regardless of whether or not we'd weathered that first 15 minutes where, where Cardiff sort of came out and, and, and went, went for us a bit? Um, I still feel as though there was there was a sort of nervousness, there was a sort of um, passivity there from from Leeds. Are we expecting the same sort of thing on Saturday, Joe? I think Leeds have surprised me the past couple of seasons. Um, every time there's been a, a massive game like this, and I I always get a bit nervous going into it and think that uh, you know the players will be will be nervous too. I'm thinking about um, like West Brom away this year, West Brom at home last last season. Um, Brentford away this year and we always seem to sort of step up our game actually and and take me by surprise definitely and actually come out quite assured and confident so as much as I think that they they probably will be nervous and there could be a bit of um, misplaced passes again um, if they if they're following their usual pattern the past couple of years then they should come out all guns blazing and uh, and yeah prove me wrong. This feels to me very much like the Brentford game um, at, at Griffin Park, where you know there was so much riding on that game, and it was we were a, a sort of low ebb. Brentford were absolutely flying at this point, and I think a lot of Leeds fans just expected the the rot to continue. Um, Tom, I wonder if whether or not you think that this could actually be a, a strong game for Leeds, where they just come out and they get the they get the job done, and um, their their sort of ability, well, their tendency to sort of thrive under um, underdog status. Um, whether or not that will come to the fore, I think the the game last week will may, maybe even help Leeds that Bielsa will expect a reaction. And if we if we'd walk past Cardiff, then it I don't know like we might might not have been as up for this game. But um, that's I think another thing is that there's been a big change this season. That Leeds in big games have tended to do quite well. They've been to, sort of like you said, thriving on the underdog status or proving people wrong. Which was last year. I, I didn't think we had that. Because I think there was a, there was a, I think it was only really Sheffield Wednesday at home last year when right at the very end where I thought oh we've actually performed when it matters when instead of just beating the teams we needed to so I think but yeah this year with when it's mattered so like both the West Brom games for example we've we've performed well Brentford away and another example and I think we'll see that on Saturday and Brentford at home as well for that matter yeah I think that was one of the the strongest performances of the season in terms of playing against the team at the top of the table. Um, let's talk about how we think Fulham will come out against us. Do we think that there's going to be any difference between how Fulham play against us as they did against Brentford? Because it seems to me that like Brentford and Leeds are sort of fairly interchangeable teams. Like if you're going to play, obviously Brentford are, are below Fulham, so maybe that is going to affect the way that they came out. But you would have thought that against against Brentford, Fulham might have come out a little bit more defensively, just because they would rather have had a draw than a loss there. But um, with with Fulham having to as you said, beat Leeds pretty much in order for, for that race to be still on for, for automatic promotion. Do we think that Fulham are going to just be quite attacking, quite direct again, like they were really in the second half of uh, the game, or even in the first half of the game on, on Sunday, Joe? I think so, yeah. Um, 
I found a couple of interesting possession stats um, to do with this. So Fulham have averaged 62% possession this season. Um, In the game against Brentford, they only had 48%, so they sort of shared it evenly. Um, And going all the way back to the reverse fixture um, against Leeds... They only had 35%, and uh, they were they were playing at home then, obviously. So that does make me think that perhaps they'll they will, they'll just sit off and let us have possession. But I think the yeah the factor that you've just mentioned that they sort of have to come out to win because we take a draw. I think that will change things a bit differently. I think we could see more of an even share of possession. Um, but obviously, Leeds like to dominate in uh, in every game, so I think it could be more 60-40 to Leeds. Mm. We had a question from Jim Duffy actually about this. He said, "If Fulham set up like Cardiff, where, which I expect them to do, i.e., defensively and hit us on the break, will Bielsa set them up differently? And if so, how?" Um, I'm not sure. I expect Fulham to try and hit us on the break because we, we, again, we're going to talk about Mitrovic in a, in a second. But um, I don't think Mitrovic really allows you to play counter-attacking football because he does two things one of which is drop deep well drop deep on goal kicks to try and hit the ball down to a to a teammate and then get into the box and be dangerous and um his his pace is not is, is famously not um exactly uh hot shall we say uh and so i don't think we'll necessarily see them doing that so i don't think we're going to see them trying to smash and grab in the sense of you know really sitting deep the whole time and then just going forward occasionally i think they will try and do the the build-up play they will try and play it out of the back to a point but then i think they are going to try and use harrison reed to, to as we've said hit those channels but um tom what's your response to that question um how do you expect bielsa to set us up differently to to cardiff I don't think we'll see much difference. I think we'll still be looking to control control the game like we did against Cardiff. Um, I just think we'll we'll have an opportunity. I think to maybe us play on the break, which we were never going to have the chance to do against Cardiff because they've constantly sat deep. Um, and we've also we've seen this season how good Leeds can be on the break. Um, so I think that that we might see that come into play on Saturday. Right. It's time. We need to talk about Mitrovic. We've mentioned this a few times. Uh, I know you both got thoughts on Mitrovic. So, so Tom, what, what what's your thinking on Mitrovic? I think he's obviously the one thing that re- really worries me about Saturday. Um, I think there was a piece, I, th- I think it was Phil Hay in The Athletic, actually, it was talking about uh, Mitrovic this season. And he's like, tw- he's matching his XG, even though he scored like 23 goals uh, there or thereabouts. So I think we struggled with him in the earlier game um, in the air, which we've, uh, we do against a lot of teams. And despite the fact that a lot of people said he'd looked unfit um, on Saturday or when, when they played, um, he still just has this ability to get in the box when it really matters and get a shot away. And if probably lack of match sharpness um, was the thing that undid him at the weekend. So you think you might think with just with that game um, under his belt, he, he worried me even more. Yeah, we had a question from Thomas Dix actually on this. He said, I appreciate the lack of decent sample size given they've only played one match since the break, but is it possible to determine from the data whether Mitrovic is as fat and unfit as he looks? Um, Joe, you've got a few thoughts on this, yeah? Yeah, so I found a couple of of, of stats. Um, so in the Brentford game, uh, he only made 12 accurate passes out of 14 attempted. Uh, and over the course of the season, his, he averages about 18 accurate passes from 25 attempted. So he was a bit quieter in that sense. Um, he also only had 29 touches in the Brentford game. And he's... An, uh, over the course of the season, he averages 
43 touches per game. Um, but the the other interesting stat that I found was that he had four shots uh, in the Brentford game and they were all on target. Um, and his average per game over the season is only 2.7. So uh, he was less involved in the passing and the build-up, but he still managed to get more shots than average. So mm. this is a bit of a worry that he can just, even if he's not involved in the game at all, he can take a shot and probably get that on target out of nowhere. He has a remarkable ability, doesn't he, to to look dangerous just on everything. Um, and, and it felt at times, you know, Fulham would just fling the ball in the box and he would get on the end of it. And you kind of think, how's he got on? How's he got off the defender and, and found space for himself there and, and made a decent effort out of it? Um, this is something I've actually been thinking about and I'm wondering whether or not the, the, the best way to, to sort of stymie um, Mitrovic is actually to, to try and close down shots quicker. Uh, sorry, crosses quicker from 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 their wide areas and try and uh, really sort of smother them in that sense because um, I, I'm just thinking that the times when we've been undone by by things like this has been uh, in the Cardiff game, the first um, Cardiff game this season where we gave away a, a goal to Sean Morrison uh, because Joe Bennett was just given acres of space to 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 place his cross and and get it as accurate as possible. And this is something that worries me if we, if we aren't as quick out to um, the, the, for example, Joe Bryan on that left-hand side um, with, with someone like Costa being a little bit slow on the, on the block, like he was against Joe Bennett. That's where I start worrying because it's, it's not just the case that, you know, if, if you allow a, a, a cross into the box, then Mitrovic will probably make a good effort of it. It's, it's that if you allow a good cross into the box, he's almost certainly going to, make the keeper struggle um and and so that's what kind of worries me because you know it, it as the old adage goes only takes a second to score um and it can be it could be something as simple as that a sort of defensive lapse in terms of allowing an easy cross that that could could undo us so i'm interested to see um what happens there and um yeah, you know, Mitrovic is their is their danger man, and we've been undone by every time we get undone by teams. It's because uh, a danger a danger man scores a goal <laughs> efficiently. Um, that was the story of the of the of the Cardiff game, and um, yeah, I think that 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 for me is the worry. I guess on the the flip side of that is that you know the goals that we tend to give away tend to be because we lose the ball in. Um, attacking transition and so we have we saw that happen both times uh, against Cardiff so there was a lot of space because our our team has decompressed in order to be able to progress the ball down the field we've lost the ball and then there's just loads of space for quick players to run into um and I should say, you know, Fulham do, they do sort of press from the from the front. They do look to um, try and break teams down in the final third. They play, at the moment, they're basically playing 4-3-3 with, with Harrison Reed at the base and then Tom Kearney and um, uh, someone else as, as, as a sort of advanced eight. And as a result of that, it means that they've got like an extra player to help in the pressing um, um, dri- well, pressing manoeuvres up front um, and so they will try and break us down I think in, in that respect but I do feel good because in, in those senses you know you're not expecting us to lose the ball and then Mitrovic to pop up in the box yeah obviously they've got Cordova Reed, um, De Cordova Reed and um, and Kearney who, who can both you know cause problems but I mean Kearney isn't quick so it's basically uh, De Cordova Reed and, that we've got to deal with so in that respect maybe we'll be, we'll be ameliorated a little little bit but yeah Mitrovic is just always a worry isn't he uh, Tom? Yeah I think the only thing he sort of doesn't have going for him like you said is that he won't press in the style that you'd see from Patrick Bamford so we're not going to see sort of um, Cooper or well, Cooper more so than White 
pressed into mistakes um, like they were against Cardiff and have been in previous games this season. Mm. Yeah, we've had a few questions actually about running stats and I've just got to say we don't have access to any um, running stats because that requires tracking data and it's just so hard to get hold of. So you'll see it on Sky TV, they'll get like uh, distances run but Sky TV obviously have the money to be able to buy those sorts of stats and even still there a lot of these stats are still very very rudimentary so we don't have any access to anything on on running stats at the moment or distance run or what anything like that so, so apologies about that JBC you asked how do Fulham's running stats compare to Leeds this season we just simply can't find out um we had a question about Harrison Reed. um I think inevitably because he had such a good game. Um, Chris Kirk asked, statistically are Fulham better with Harrison Reed on the pitch? I thought he bossed their game on Saturday and when he went off, Brentford could play around Arta no problem and took the win. And we've already sort of touched on this, but uh, anyone anyone got any thoughts on this? I'm just going to have a look because I think Harrison Reed's been relatively injured this season. So um, I'm just going to have a look at transfer marked quickly. I should have done this before. I've just let, let it slip um, and see how many games he's played and, and the sorts of um, results that they've got from him. But anyone else got any thoughts on on Harrison Reed? I think um, Chris has pretty much summed it up. Uh, we we all we all saw in the in the Brentford game that when he went off, Fulham were much weaker, and it really wouldn't surprise me if the statistics did back that up because uh, he did have a fantastic game. Mm. He looks very very unassuming, doesn't he? I think that's what I always find so interesting about him that um, you just he just doesn't look like he should be the sort of player who should be controlling a game. Uh, and yet, and yet, he he just sort of popped up in the right place all the time, um, and, and did everything that he needed to do. Right, I've got his stats here from this season. So he's only played eighteen games this season, um, and he he sort of started off fairly strongly, and then he's had a calf injury that that sort of fixed itself um, around December, um, and then he um, got injured again in in. January I'm just having a look now but um, yeah this I mean it's not the the case that there aren't poor results with him in the team obviously that they lost to Reading uh, 2-1 in in on on New Year's Day actually Uh, he was in the team that um, that lost 3-0 to Hull although he um, yeah and he played 90 minutes on that he was in the team that lost to Stoke City um, as well and then there's a lot of draws in there too draws against teams like Charlton um, and uh, and Cardiff and um, yeah, Luton as well, actually. So um, again, you know, don't read too much into the results, obviously, because I think the biggest underlying issue here is the fact that their their manager is not getting the best out of them. Um, but I think interesting that that you know, in big games, he, he when you're showing yourself in a big game like he he was, um, and you're you're so important to the the sort of process of the team. I think it's it's, it's an interesting uh, observation to be made that that he was the most important game uh, player in the field as a number six. Um, when that happens, you know, it's uh, it's indicative that you probably would work quite well in, in, in other teams. It's the Calvin Phillips uh, phenomenon, isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm aware of time, so we should move on. I just want to want, ask one more question then. I, again, I don't, do, I don't ask for pr- predictions. Um, you're welcome to give predictions if you want, but um, how do we think the game was going to go, Tom? Similar to the start on, um, on Sunday, we'll see it'd be very cagey. Um, sort of both teams start, starting to feel each other out. I do, I do think that Leeds will get on top of Fulham. Um, I just don't think they have the players to s- sit deep and soak up pressure. And they don't, I think it was Jack said, they don't really have the pl- players to play on the break as well. So when they're not attempting to sort of dominate teams like they probably can do with most of the other teams in the league, I think they'll struggle. And I, don't, I would expect us to come out on top eventually. And 
So, yeah, I, th- I think we'll be all right. This this game suits us a lot more than the Cardiff game did. Yeah, absolutely. I agree uh, with what Tom said. I think that it will be cagey at the start. I think they'll be trying to press us for the first 15-20, as most teams have done to us. Um, and then probably we'll see them getting penned back into their own half and us dominating the possession. And uh, if we if we don't concede a, a goal from a silly mistake, then I think we have every chance of, of winning the game. Hmm. So there you have it. I think a level of confidence about the Fulham game, which isn't to say that we think that we'll definitely win, but I think uh, we're all feeling as though we're definitely going to compete um, against Fulham. And it's if we lose, as I've said before, we're going to lose playing the football that we want to be playing. And that's fair enough, I think. If we lose on that basis, then then there we go. But let's hope it's just not another game where, where we sort of get kiboshed by, by just being, I think, maybe un- unfairly punished for the mistakes that we make, We're just in terms of, of the fact that we were at Cardiff, where, you know, we did make mistakes, but you don't expect every mistake to be punished quite so severely as it was. Right, a little bit of housekeeping. There's a Patreon episode gone up yesterday where Josh and I had a chat about various things. Uh, we talked about Ian Perveda, looked at a little bit of his stats at, at youth level. Uh, we also talked about Juan Foyt. Josh has written a piece just scouting Juan Foyt as a potential replacement for Ben White. And then we had a long discussion about the the sort of argument that was rippling away on our Twitter feed yesterday about the state of the squad. Do we think that Leeds have a strong squad or a weak squad? Is there a depth there or is there any weakness? So if you're interested in that, go over to Patreon and sign up. The the support that you give us is is, is very helpful and we appreciate it very much. Other than this, if you've missed our uh, Cardiff debrief, you can listen to that. Maybe maybe a few days distance has helped you ready and steal yourself for, for that. Um, that's over that's available for free on our on our um, rss feed um and then other than that i think the only thing to say is we'll have i'll be putting up a fulham tactics thread on on the twitter account tomorrow um so keep an eye out for that but um for now thank you very much guys for coming on joe you're available on twitter at joe hill 96 is that right yeah that's right and tom you're available at tom alderson 97 that's right yeah yeah, which just means that you're both disgustingly young. Um, so let's not dwell on that too much. But thank you both for coming on and we'll chat again soon, no doubt. Great, cheers. For cheers. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.